Hey, what's up, listeners? This is Derek M. Cook, your host and producer of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is episode 37 of Monster Kid Radio, and I am sitting in the parking lot outside of the Hollywood Theater here in Portland, Oregon. This is the first time that I've been to the Hollywood since they've installed their new classic restored marquee, which is really cool. I'm going to put a picture of the marquee showing the movie that I'm seeing tonight in the Flickr album. You can find it over at monsterkidradio.net. It's over on the left-hand side. You can see some of the Flickr pictures. Now you can click on it and blow it up as his own webpage, that sort of thing. It's really kind of cool. Also over at our website, you can find a link to the band Low Sweat Guitars. It was their song El Barco that you heard at the beginning of the show. It was from their album Majestic. You'll hear it in its entirety at the end of this episode after we go through all the really good stuff we got lined up in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. If you want to cheat, head over to monsterkidradio.net and read the show notes for this episode to see what we're going to be talking about this time around. Like part two of my discussion of Monster Kid-friendly Disney films with Disney Indiana's Scott Morris. Scott's been on the show before. Well, he was just on the show a couple days ago, but he's been on the show before. He's a Disney fan through and through, as well as a Monster Kid and a Star Kid and a fan of all things sci-fi, that sort of thing. And I thought it would be really fun to talk about some of these Monster Kid-friendly Disney films with him. We talked a little bit about the horror elements in existing Disney properties in the last episode. In this episode, he and I are breaking down our top three monster kid friendly disney films and he surprised me i thought i could predict what he was going to pick and well he surprised me kept me on my toes really good discussion with that but also in this episode i got to talk about the movie that i'm about to see at the hollywood theater the seven brothers meet dracula this was a monster kid radio crash event and i'm hoping that i can find somebody in there that said that they would be joining us according to the facebook event page Somebody, a friendly face, maybe somebody who's been on the show before, somebody who's never been on the show, that sort of thing. I hope I see you in there if you were at the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to talk about that. And then at the very end of the show, I'm going to talk about a DVD set that I've been watching of a TV series from the 70s and a movie that I just recently watched kind of sort of in the 70s vein. So we're talking about classic Monster Kid friendly Disney stuff. We're going to be talking about movies that actually, well recently came out, like last year or so, talking about movies that came out in the 70s. This is a more forward-thinking episode of Monster Kid Radio, or at least forward-placed in terms of years that we cover. Normally we stick to 30s through the 50s, some 60s, but whatever. I mean, this is a fun episode. I'm excited, but uh, I'm also very excited to get into the Hollywood theater. So if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go that way and let you listen to part two of my discussion with Scott Morris about Monster Kid-friendly Disney films, our top three list, right after this. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Hindu. Podcast. Syndrome. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. So we've talked a little bit about the monster elements in some Disney films, the Disney parks, that sort of thing. One of the things that I was really excited about doing with Scott here on Monster Kid Radio is doing a top three list of Monster Kid-friendly 
Disney stories or Disney films. At some point, as a tease, I will have Scott on to talk about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea because I know he loves that movie. Oh, it's a great film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that that's a tease. So we call that a, I don't know, coming attractions or whatever. But for this, this time around, we're going to do our top three monster kid friendly Disney movies. Uh, I'm going to go first because I want to end on Scott since he's the guest. But before I do mine, I do have one honorable mention that I just – I have to mention. I have to talk about briefly. It's not going to make its way into my actual list. Is that OK with you, Scott? Sure. All right. So maybe consider this my number four if we were cheating a little bit. I mentioned earlier that I was going to bring up Michael Eisner <laughs> and not because he's you know scary. But <laughs> uh, when it comes to my personal development as a monster kid – I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of horror movies growing up, but if it had Disney on it, it was safe. And in the 80s, I watched every week Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color. And on April 20th, 1986, episode 11 of the 30th season of the show, they aired a show called Mr. Boogity. And Mr. Boogity terrified me as a kid. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever watched that one all the way through. You know, it's directed by Oz Scott, stars Richard Mazur, and a very young David Faustino. They did sequelize it later with The Bride of Boogity, but Mr. Boogity terrified me as a kid. I remember being just enthralled and focused so much on the TV when I was watching that. Uh, whenever Boogity would show up, I was like, oh. And then, of course, I believe it was my father who thought it would be funny to sneak into the room and scare us while we were watching it as well, but uh, which may have impacted my view on the film. But Mr. Boogity did it for me, man. Daddy, please. Come on, Dad. No, it's great, really. I'm not mad. I just want to know how you did it. Dad, the house is haunted. <laughs> haunted? It's Mr. Booty. Okay. Uh, now, I don't know how you guys are making those noises. One thing I do know, this house is not haunted. <laughs> Even though this is kind of a honorable mention to my top three, it's probably also a good precursor to what my list is going to look like in terms of my development as a monster kid and that sort of thing is I'm going to be revisiting the 80s again uh, during my list. So Can, can I throw out an alternate? Uh, please, a, please. <laughs> and I'm going to go back to that dark time in, in Disney from uh, 1983. Something Wicked This Way Comes. An electric storm to clean your streets and wash away your trouble. For every heart, there exists a wish. You ever play the numbers, Mr. Holloway? Hey, never take risks. For every soul, there burns a desire. Oh, hey, Always was. It smells to me like we're going to have visitors. But never whisper your dreams, for someone might be listening. <laughs> and for every wish, there will be a price. desire, there will be a cost. Three o'clock. They call it the soul's midnight. My name is Mr. Dark. I advise you to respect it. Dad, please be careful. Will. These boys I'm looking for. Perhaps you know them? Fine boy, fine. Both of them quite a credit to this little town, if you want to know the truth. I do want to know the truth, sir. And the truth is that you are lying. I am pricking up my thumbs. Something wicked this way comes. Then rang the bells, both loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. Where do you come from? The dust. Where do you go to? The grave. Yes. We are the hungry ones. 
Your torments call us like dogs in the night. And we do feed. And feed well. You tell me where the boys are hiding. And I can make you young again. Ray Bradbury's fantasy tale of light and darkness is getting closer. Something wicked this way comes. Yes. Jonathan Price in that film scared me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I actually struggled. Something Wicked is not going to be on my list. By all rights, it probably should because it is such a fantastic movie. Uh, 1983 is when that came out. And this yes. is when Disney is trying to do more live action stuff. I mean, you've got this, you've got something that's going to turn up on my list later, Flight of the Navigator. You know, this is in the mid 80s, uh, directed by Jack Clayton. Ray Bradbury story. I mean, come on. Ray has came out in a couple of times that really berated this film. It wasn't really? his vision. Yeah. That's interesting. Because I think it's a great film. Oh, I do too. I do too. I, I love the scary, fair, carnies, uh-huh. you know, that that whole thing. And, that, you know, Mr. Dark was just, he's one of those ones that, that really, when I saw this really, when I was really young, he kept me up at night. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Something wicked this way comes. So a couple of good honorable mentions for our top three lists. I think it's uh, I think it's fair to include that in there. And you know, if we had our co-host from 1951 down place on the show, I think this would probably be on his list because I know Casey Criswell loves something. Look at this way it comes. It's a great film. It's a great film. I've got the soundtrack on my iPod. I've even got the rejected soundtrack. There was a score by another guy first. Yes, I have both of those as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> good music. Good film. Definitely something to watch during the Halloween season. Definitely. All right. So if we're going to do this so that we end on Scott, I'll go ahead and do my number three. Now, I'm going to take the very broad approach when it comes to Disney. I'm going to take a very broad view and say, you know what? Disney isn't just the cartoons and it isn't just a live action. Disney's also Touchstone. And I'm going to throw Ed Wood on my list of top three monster kid friendly Disney films. Tim Burton, director of Batman. Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands now takes you to a completely different world. The true story of a Hollywood legend, Ed Wood. And action! He made movies like no one else. You want to keep moving? You've got to get through that door. God, that was perfect. Perfect? Do you know anything about film production? Well, I like to think so. He had an eye for talent. I met Bella Lugosi. I thought he was dead. This is the most uncomfortable coffin I've ever been in. No, he's very much alive. You flying saucer? He had a passion for storytelling. Get me transvestites. I need transvestites. You're flashy. They want that. Okay. But they want professionalism. So Nick's on the Nelly without losing naivete. What kind of a movie is this? It's science fiction. A heartbreaking romance. Brave robbers from outer space. Brave robbers from what? And he had a secret he couldn't hide. I like to dress in women's clothing. Panties, sweaters, pumps. It's just something I do. You don't like sex with girls? No, I love sex with girls. Wearing their clothes makes me feel closer to them. How can you act so casual when you're dressed like that? All right, everybody, let's finish this picture. Touchstone Pictures presents Johnny Depp. Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, and Bill Murray in the true story of an unforgettable filmmaker. We're making another movie. I got the Church of Beverly Hills to put up the cash. How do you get all your friends to get baptized just so you can make a monster movie? And his legacy that will live forever. How do you burn this off? Shake his legs around. Looks like he's killing. This is the one. I command you! This is the one I'll be remembered for. Ed Wood, a Tim Burton film. Really? Worst film you ever saw. Well, my next one will be better. Hello? Now, hear me out, because as much as I love Ed Wood, I also know it is horrible when it comes to its accuracy. Historically, it is way off, and there have been a lot of complaints about the performance of Landau as Bela Lugosi, that Lugosi was not portrayed in the best of light, that sort of thing. I get that, and I understand that, and I understand Tim Burton had a lot to do with how this movie ended up, and he sometimes doesn't stick to the source material, and that's fine. But I still think when it comes to Monster Kid-friendly films from The House of Mouse, Ed Wood is right in there, 
It talks about an era of filmmaking, a period of filmmaking, a type of filmmaking that speaks to us as who we are as monster kids. I mean, Plan 9 from Outer Space, Bride of the Monster, yeah, they're pretty inept movies. But when you think of these types of movies and their place in Monster Kid Dumb, I think they're pretty important and very familiar touchstones for a lot of us. So for my list, I believe it came out in 1994? 94, yes. Directed by Tim Burton, Ed Wood. So that's my number three. Oh, we definitely, Tracy and I, consider that a Disney movie as well. We talked about it on our show a couple times when we recommended uh, right now this year we're doing a future Disney legends, you know, people we think that Disney will put in their, basically their Hall of Fame. And we've talked about Johnny Depp and we've talked about Tim Burton and Ed Wood was one of the things that we referenced in that countdown. It's a great film, too. I mean, I, it really is. It's probably, in my opinion, it's one of the last really, really good ones that Tim Burton did. That really speaks to me, that I really enjoy. So, Oh, one of my favorite parts of this film was Bill Murray's portrayal in that <laughs> film. I thought he was really good. And yeah, I like I mean, Jeff- Jeffrey great. Jones as Criswell as well. Oh, he's great. <laughs> he's great. I mean, they all do it. I mean, George the Animal Steel as Tor Johnson. I mean, wonderful casting. Yep. Good stuff. Well, what's your number three, Scott? Well, I'm going to continue with the Tim Burton, if that's all right with you. And go Absolutely. With, go with 2012's Frankenweenie. Ah, there you go. Sparky is a great dog, a great friend. The best dog a kid could have. When you lose someone you love, they never really leave you. He'll always be in your heart. I don't want him in my heart. I want him here with me. The nervous system is just wires and cables. Even after death, the muscles respond to electricity. He's alive! You can't tell anyone. Promise? Promise. Victor brought an animal back to life. With lightning and boom and Something big is gonna happen. Who's responsible for this? I just want my dog back. We can do better. Bigger. Right, Colossus, from your tomb. Cool. Victor, let's go. Hang on. Mr. Whiskers is trying to tell us something. Did you get that out of the litter box? Oh, my. I need your help. I asked him first. My problem, Biga. Yeah, he's right. Now, this doesn't have the problem that Ed Wood has because, you know, this is based off a story that Tim Burton wrote. So it's his own source material. More than once, right? He did the story more than once. Yes. He actually, back in the 80s, did a live action uh, version of Frank and Weenie. But this film really pays homage to several uh, especially classic universal monster films. There's some Toho thrown in. There's little uh, winks and nods to a lot of those old films. I mean, it even has a scene of Curse of, of Dracula from Hammer shows Horror up in this film. Horror, Horror yeah. of Dracula. Don't make me kick you off down, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so it's it got all that going for it. The whole scene where uh, Victor is bringing Sparky back to life, they nailed Frankenstein's lab as if you had to build it with kids' toys. It is amazing. The Bride of Frankenstein shows up because at one point uh, when this poodle kisses Sparky, you know, Spark goes through, her hair flies way up with the white spark through it. 
there's just so many references to these films uh, you know, Gamera references. You've got the whole ending of the film that happens at the windmill, just like the end of Frankenstein. It's a great film. I did not predict this one to be on your list when we first started talking about this uh, as a topic. I should have because I just should have known better. Actually, this was one when you mentioned the topic, this was the first one that popped into my mind. See, and that makes perfect sense. I should have known better. Because this one references so many films uh-huh. that are in the Monster Kid wheelhouse. All right. So for my number two, I'm going to go to a movie that Scott briefly mentioned earlier. Uh, I'm going to 1985's Return to Oz from director Walter Murch, based on the original L. Frank Baum stories. This summer, Walt Disney Pictures presents a motion picture fantasy adventure beyond your fondest imagination. You'll be transported miraculously back to the enchanted land of Oz, that magical kingdom beloved by young and old for generations. It's just a yellow brick. No, Belina, you don't understand. This was the yellow brick road. You'll share with Dorothy Gale the shock of finding everything mysteriously changed. What's happened to everybody? And you'll delight with her discovery of four wonderful new friends who band together against a wicked queen and the dreaded Gnome King. This is the Oz you haven't seen before, and this is the Oz you'll want to visit again and again. From Walt Disney Pictures comes a whole new world of entertainment. Why don't we just fly back to Kansas? Return to Oz. This movie, for me, is what I saw in the theater, terrified me, and pretty much this and Mr. Boogity and what my number one is going to be is going to reveal my age. So a lot of the scary Disney that I have in my history comes from the 80s, and the Return to Oz film is one of those scary Disney films that just sticks with me. One of the things that I like about a lot of the movies that we celebrate here on Monster Kid Radio, whether it's Frankenstein or Hunchback or or any of these movies, is that, yeah, they're scary, yet the monsters, they're still characters and they're still somewhat approachable. In the case of Frankenstein's monster, for example, yeah, he's doing some pretty horrible things, but he's just a big kid. He doesn't know any better. He's trying, so we can identify with him a little bit. You can do that with the Hunchback with Quasimodo. With the Ray Harryhausen films, those creatures are more than just monsters. They actually move as if they've got a, for lack of a better term, a bit of humanity to them. And I feel like the Jack Pumpkinhead character in Return to Oz does the same thing. Some great early work by Brian Henson on that. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A great makeup, a great character design, a great puppetry, since it is Henson. But it's also got the scary Gnome King character, and you've got the stuff going on with the witch and the heads and all this stuff, which is just creepy. And the wheelers. Yeah. I mean, even the way the the movie begins with the electroshock therapy. Yes. I mean, come on. That's terrifying. So that's my number two. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great film. It's one that I had seen a long time ago, and then uh, Tracy and I revisited about the time that uh, Oz the Great and Powerful came out, because uh, we talked about that film on our show, and then we talked about Disney's involvement with the works of uh, Frank Baum. He uh, Disney actually had tried to get the original, the first story that uh, the famous Wizard of Oz is based on, but he was too late in getting that one. He mm-hmm. ended up getting uh, books two and three in the series, and that's what was used as a basis for uh, the return to Oz. And there was mm-hmm. even a time where there's an episode of the Mouseketeers where they wanted to do an episode. They tried to convince Walt to do a, a Wizard of Oz-type film starring them. So huh. Dis- Disney's had a long history with the Wizard of Oz franchise. Well, most of it, am I correct in saying that it's a lot of it's in the public domain now i believe so i could be wrong on that so don't i'm not a lawyer <laughs> nor does he play one on tv or or on a podcast or did he stay in holiday inn express last night totally blew my <laughs> credentials there scott thank you you ready for my number two yeah hit me with your number two okay i, I guess i'm going to be the one that's going to go with the oldest thing in our list 1949 the adventures of ichabod and mr toad Oh, man, how did I forget that? (laughs) 
not so much the Mr. Toad part, which I love because I love Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, but Ichabod Crane. What a great character. <laughs> Man. Yeah. I. Wow. When did that come out again? 1949. Wow. I totally forgot that one. That's one that was in heavy rotation on, uh, I think maybe on V8. Did I have it on video? Man, I remember watching it repeatedly. Oh, it's one that the Disney Channel used to put in heavy rotation come October every year as well. Mm-hmm. The Headless Horseman is just great, and uh, you know Ichabod Crane fighting or being scared by the Headless Horseman is it's one of those things that when I first saw this as a as a, a young Disney fan was uh, a scary one. And what's really cool now, Disney World every year does their uh, Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, which right. which unfortunately Tracy and I have not been able to experience yet, but they start the parade off with the Headless Horseman riding down Main Street, USA, holding his flaming pumpkin head. Oh, man, I bet that's awesome. <laughs> I've seen photos. I've never actually seen it. Man, I bet that is amazing. But it's uh, it's also one of the few uh, Disney films where the bad guy wins. It's very odd in that respect. It's a downer, but it's, I don't know, man, it's, it's not very Disney. <laughs> <laughs> When it was uh, released as part of the double feature with, uh, well, not technically a double feature, but when it was released theatrically with The Wind in the Willows, was it the second half or the first half? I don't remember. I've only seen them broken up, so I don't know which was played first. I just can't imagine it ending on such a downer. <laughs> you know, it would have to end on The Wind in the Willows. Well, there's there's one thing that I've heard of fellow Disney fans when you, when we talk about this film is The Headless Horseman. Was he real? Or was he just Brom Bones in disguise to scare Ichabod Crane off, if you're familiar with the story? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> something to. I mean, it's based on a story by Washington Irving from 1850s, 1840s. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely in public domain. <laughs> and it's, it's one that's been redone several times. I mean, that story's been done. Even uh, Tim Burton did it. He did uh, Sleepy Hollow, bring back Tim Burton to our talk. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember a live-action version of it with Jeff Goldblum. Wow, I don't know that one. Yeah, from 1980, it was a a TV adaptation with Jeff Goldblum as Ichabod Crane and uh, Dick Buttkiss as Brom. (laughs) I could could see Goldblum being Ichabod. And uh, Meg Foster was the female lead in that. It was not done by Disney. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that I worked at a blockbuster video that carried – uh, the Watcher in the Woods and the you know that release. And they also had the Legend of Sleepy Hollow as a standalone release somehow or other. I don't remember how it was put out, but uh, they had that. And somehow or other, somebody mixed it up with the Jeff Goldblum version. <laughs> and I had I, – I can I remember a couple of times angry customers coming back saying, I wanted this to be a cartoon. Well, well all right. But uh, yeah, I do remember seeing that mostly because of that is that somebody would bring it back and complain that it wasn't the cartoon. So I ended up watching it that way. But, uh, yeah, Goldblum was a good and interesting crane. Dick Butkus, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> well, for the, the animated one that we're talking about, you know, you've got Bing Crosby, who's basically the narrator for the mm-hmm. story as well, which was really cool. Because, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this and thinking of the Rankin-Bass uh, Christmas specials that he did. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, this yep. is nothing like a Christmas special. <laughs> Not at all. And, you know, to even make it more Monster Kid friendly, Basil Rathbone narrated the Wind in the Willows segment. Yes, yes he did. And he was also a so, policeman in that film. Right on. Good number two, man. I can't believe I forgot that one. Well, one that I will never forget is my number one. This is a movie that uh, my fifth grade teacher showed us in grade school on videotape. Wheeled in the cart with the TV, you know, the VCR underneath. Put it in front of the class, sat us down, and we all watched... 1980s The Watcher in the Woods. Something happened in these woods. Something that has never been explained. And it's happening again. Now. Did you hurt yourself? Oh, it's just a little cut. What sort of person are you? Sensitive? You sense things. The past pursues the present like a recurring dream. What began as a game ended when a young girl vanished into thin air. Carol! 
That was my daughter's name. What do you think happened to Karen? I think she's still out there. Karen is trying to come back. Jan can help Karen. But who's going to help Jan? Betty Davis, Carol Baker, David McCallum, and Lynn Holly Johnson. Whatever happened to my Karen could happen to you. The Watcher in the Woods. Man. That movie terrified me. I couldn't believe I was seeing this. I was happy to see it because, like I said, I didn't watch a lot of horror movies growing up. But wow, what a crazy film to show a group of kids on a, you know, October afternoon. Wow, I, I don't remember ever watching especially scary stuff in school. Yeah, I maybe it was because it was a Disney film and they just didn't know. I don't know, but well, yeah. Well, the closest I can even come to that kind of story is... Um, When I was in middle school, we had a student teacher from the local college, and uh, he took us, it was Halloween, and he took us into a a room, had a uh, cassette tape, put it into a cassette player, played this, I have no idea what it was, this old radio show, turned off all the lights, and this radio show had, it was a story about this fog that was coming into the town, and if it touched you, it turned you inside out. To this day, the sound effect that they use of, of a body turning inside out would creep me out. And I can still, I could, I can hear it in my mind right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that's the closest I can come to a teacher scaring us in school. But getting yeah. to see The Watcher in the Woods would have been cool. Man, it's a creepy movie. I mean, it's, it's 1980, so right when Disney's trying to find a new identity, I don't know what was going on there. John Huff directed it, written by Brian Clemens based on a novel that I've never read, but I feel like maybe I should track down. Starring Betty Davis yep, in a very creepy role. David McCollum's in it. She's good at playing creepy, Betty oh, Davis is. Especially older <laughs> Betty Davis. Yes. So good. So good. Kyle Richards is in it for you uh, Housewives of Whatever County fans. Such a good film and so creepy, so scary. One of the things about the Monster Kid movies is that there are some iconic figures in them. Monsters in them. Frankenstein, Ichabod Crane, and Headless Horseman, whatever. Watcher in the Woods, I struggle because it doesn't really have that one big monster. But the mood and the atmosphere did it for me. So, Oh, yeah. It's definitely a moody film. And what's ironic is I'm looking here at the IMDb page, and it says, if you like this, you'll like The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> Another very atmospheric, moody film. Disney-like movie. Yes. <laughs> Not Disney. <laughs> And I want to talk about the trailer for this, too. Uh, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm going to play the trailers for all these every time we talk about it. The trailer for this, I believe, I can't confirm it, but the trailer's voice, the narration is Percy Rodriguez, who is the same guy who did the trailer for Jaws. Wow. So it's that, that creepy voice and that matter-of-fact deadpan, you are going to be scared, <laughs> you know, kind of voice. So, Well, you're going to hate my number one because I don't think there's a trailer for it. <laughs> what do we got? <laughs> 1995. It's a short film, Runaway Brain. Nice. Which is one of my all-time favorite Mickey Mouse shorts. For the first time in years, Disney's biggest star... I'm back in business! ...is back in theaters. Mickey Mouse in Runaway Brain. After this one, they kind of stopped doing Mickey Mouse shorts, and I'll just hear recently they've started back up and, and really rediscovered the character outside of being just a corporate shill. But... um I love <laughs> Runaway Brain. <laughs> it came out, was attached to several different movies, Kid in King Arthur's Court, and then a Goofy movie, which is where I saw it. It's got you know, your your classic mad scientist that is famous in a lot of Monster Kid movies. You've got brain transference. I just love this film. And, and not only does it get the, the, the Monster Kid stuff, one of my favorite things about this film is it has a a tribute back to old Disney as well. And uh, a couple of uh, Walt's old men, because the, the, the mad doctor in this film is a character by the name of Dr. Frankenolly. And besides being, you know, 
sounding like Frankenstein. It's also a reference to a couple Disney animators, Frank Thomas and Oliver Johnson, who were, like I said earlier, two of Walt's original Nine Old Men, which I think at the time uh, they were still alive. There's also a tribute to the two of them in The Incredibles as well. But you know, you've got the mad scientist. You've got a great shot in this film where Mickey shows up at um, Dr. Frank and Ollie's uh, really creepy laboratory, and it's a shot that looks exactly like the exorcism poster. You know, the the poster with the preacher standing oh, under the, the, the street. That's yeah, awesome. Standing under the street light, looking up at the house. They nailed that perfectly, except for it's Mickey down there looking up at the house. Oh, wow. <laughs> I want that as a poster. I have an original a theatrical poster of Runaway Brain hanging in my house. It's That's uh, awesome. Because, you know, Mickey gets his brain uh, transferred with uh, Julius, which is this, you know, big monster. The body's still the same, but he turns into a monster. And it's just the drawing of Mickey as a monster is, is incredible. Something that I never thought Disney would do to you know their most beloved character, but they turn him into a really scary-looking little monster. And then, of course, you've got Julius, this huge hunk, hawking character, but he's got Mickey's personality now, which was, was quite funny. That's awesome. So your number one monster kid Disney-friendly movie or whatever is seven minutes long. It's seven minutes long, and it's seven minutes of awesome. Seven minutes like. of awesome. I mean, I can't remember. See, I, I'm sure I've seen it. I just don't remember when the last time it was. Yeah, the address for uh, Frank and Ollie's lab is thirteen thirteen Lobotomy Lane, <laughs> which is uh, you know kind of you know get your lobotomy, but thirteen thirteen Harvard Boulevard is where Disneyland is located. Nice. Well, thirteen thirteen Mockingbird was the monsters. True. So. <laughs> so briefly to sidetrack, you mentioned the nine old men. I know what those are, but what, what were the nine old men? The original animators from classic Disney, okay, that worked on, you know, all the you know Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, all the the big huge uh, films. They were the original uh, team of animators. Right on. But and yes. Kelsey Grammer uh, voiced <laughs> Frank and Ollie, right? Yes, he did, and he chose to see. He's not in the film very long, but he is excellent as a mad scientist. <laughs> Nice. And you also got uh, Wayne Allwine, who's voiced Disney. He he had voiced Disney for years and years and years. And uh, Russie Taylor as Minnie Mouse, who in real life, the two of them were married, which was kind of a sweet little story. Oh, wow. Wayne passed away a few years ago. But for you know years and years and years, the, the main uh, voices for Mickey and Minnie were married in real life. That's cool. How neat is that? Well, you know, Runaway Brain, I'm sure you can track down pretty easily. It's, is it something you can find even online somewhere? It's, it's on YouTube. Uh, if you wanted to find it to be able to buy, that's a little more difficult. It came out on a DVD set, Walt Disney Treasures Mickey Mouse in Color Volume 2, which has since gone out of print. That's what I have. It's got an introduction by uh, Leonard Malton, who talks about the film. But it, it's well worth tracking down. Like I said, it's, it, you can find it on YouTube. It's only seven minutes long, but it is, it's so much fun. I, I've always loved this film. Right on. Well, that's your number one. I like it. I think that, I think that trumps most of mine. <laughs> I mean, not my number one, but this is, this is my show. So. Well, I mean, Disney being going out on a limb and taking their most beloved character. Yeah. And making him a little evil, you know, that, that was a, a big risk taking, and I thought it was mm -hmm. really well done. So, does Disney that you know of does Disney have anything on the radar coming up that might be Monster Kid friendly? Is Tim Burton working on anything new for him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you've got. I know there's going to be a push for um, a new version of Nightmare Before Christmas coming out, updated and everything, because that film's just turning 25 years old. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. It makes you feel old, doesn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I don't – I'm not aware of anything. And the, the second uh, Thor movie is supposed to be a lot darker, something along the lines of um, The Empire Strikes Back, how it was darker and compared to Star Wars. Okay. And that comes out in November. I suppose the next Pirates movie has the potential of including something like a Davy Jones again or something. So Or the Kraken. That's a good monster. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've not heard anything, but you're more keyed into the Disney thing than I am. So, yeah, unfortunately, nothing that that I've heard. Do you sit around on Halloween and watch the Disney Channel or anything like that? I mean, is there? 
<laughs> they do something every year, don't they? Yeah, they do. And they do a lot of these, uh, like the Steve Gutenberg um, <laughs> movie. But I, I have a couple of, uh, I don't know, watch exactly on Halloween because I do like to, uh, we like to sit outside and actually meet the trick-or-treaters. But we'll watch some of the, what was called the Disney Halloween Treat. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. No. It was a 1982 television special. It's hopping at the hall tonight. Dropping at the hall tonight. Disney's Halloween treat. Yeah, it was uh, this 1982 television special that showed like the skeleton dance and a lot of uh, early Mickey Mouse shorts. There's, there's one that looks like it could have been. Um, I'm blanking on the title of it, but it could have been uh, the impetus for the Ghostbusters with uh, Mickey, Goofy, and Donald as ghost hunters. Oh, is that the Ghost Chasers? The ghost Chasers, I, yeah. Oh man, I remember having that as a book. Yeah, it, growing it, it, up. It's just like the Ghostbusters. <laughs> they go into a house and they try to, to capture, the, get these ghosts out of the house. Is it Ghost Chasers now? No, I don't think it is the Ghost Chasers now, is it? <sighs> I don't remember. But you, you know which one I'm talking about, don't you? Lonesome Ghosts. Yep, that's it. That's it. Lonesome Ghosts. Uh, I had that as a book that had this weird kind of, like a record printed into each page. Yep. And there was this device, like... Uh, Hand, a small handheld device you would hold over the little record that was imprinted in the page and it would play part of the story for you. Yeah, I don't remember those. Yeah, it was weird. I remember it had that and there were a few other books that had I mean, the, the little mini record that was printed into the page wasn't any bigger than like say a coffee cup you know, the circle of a coffee cup and there's this little device you would set on top of it and you would have to make sure the little peg went into the hole so that it was lined up just right and it would rotate around. It would play the song or the bit of dialogue from the movie or whatever. Huh. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll watch that. And there was also, I don't know if you remember, in the 80s, the Disney Channel did something called DTV. Oh, yes. And there was a, an episode of that called Disney's Monster Hits. Nice. And I think, like, the Monster Mash was on there and Thriller is on there. I'm watching part of it right now. And they they would, did Thriller. They huh? did Thriller. So they play the actual real song. And then they've got scenes on the screen from Disney shorts and movies and stuff that would go along with the song. A lot of silly symphonies showed up. A lot yep. of silly symphonies. Yeah, a lot up. of silly symphonies. Yep. But that's available on uh, on YouTube as well. Right on. And that was called again Disney's Monster Hits Halloween DTV. I will make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. As well as a link to your website, your Disney podcast. Remind us again what it is. It is the Disney Indiana podcast, and the link is www.disneyindiana.com. Well, Scott, thank you for coming back to Monster Kid Radio to talk about something that is definitely in your wheelhouse, Disney, with us here on our show. We'll have you back again. Like I said, we want to do 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with you. I'd love to do The Haunted Mansion, The Attraction, not the Eddie Murphy movie. Uh, If... The rumors are true, and Del Toro ever gets around to doing, you know, Guillermo Del Toro ever gets around to doing the Haunted Mansion movie. We got to talk about it. Oh yeah, got to talk about it. So, and I, and I, and I still want to, to do that ape thing we've been talking about. Oh, it's gonna happen. <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> Scott, thanks for coming by, man. Thanks for having me. Presence. Um, what I really like about this movie, it's 
more or less, Peter Cushing and his crew, the white people, are more like the stars. I like whenever the kung fu fights break out, they just stay on the sidelines. <laughs> really kind of terrified. This is like their reaction shots. It's hilarious. Um, also, if you've never seen a Chinese vampire before, you may not be aware that Chinese vampires hop. So, and this movie is not as much as usual. Um, there's a little bit of hopping going on. It's more like they didn't want international audiences to be confused, so they told them not to hop. But some of the guys were like, I'm vampire makeup, this is what vampires do. Yeah. So there's a little bit of hopping, but not as much as you usually see. But if you're confused, that's, that's the reason. Uh, also, this movie came out under different titles because it was recut for different parts of the world. It's also known as The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Um, also, the seven brothers and their one sister meet Dracula. Which actually, I like that better. So the sister's in it, she's my favorite part of the whole movie, so I like that. Um, and so, since this is the cut, Seven Brothers Meet Dracula, it's obvious that the movie's been butchered a little bit. The beginning is, is amazing, but it's a little confusing. It's kind of the same footage over and over. Like the pirates coming out of the, out of the ground, hopping. But, it's really cool. So, uh, this is my own personal 35mm print. It's pretty hard to find, pretty rare movie. Um, I don't know, that's it. We do this every month, so this is your first time. Sign up on the email list and come back. Uh, this is Seven Brothers Meet Dracula. Monster Kid Radio. I just got out of the Legend of the Seven. Well, excuse me. It's the Seven Brothers meets Dracula. Is that what that was? Yeah, I think that was the one. All right, that's a familiar voice. That's Chris McMillan from the Shadow Over Portland. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yourself? I just got done watching that movie. Of course, I'm doing awesome. This was actually the first time that I've seen a classic Hammer film on the big screen. Oh, really? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen lots of Hammer, but classic Hammer, theatrical, 35 millimeter print, first time. You know, I think. I think this might be mine as well. I'm trying to think if I've seen any other Hammer films, and uh, no, not in 35 and not on the big screen, so hey. And this is the first time I've seen this particular cut. I've seen The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, which is actually very different than this. Really? Because um, this is the one I've seen. I think I saw this long time ago on VHS, but it was the version. What's, what's different about it? Well, uh, more Peter Cushing at the university. Um, more Peter Cushing and Chang in his apartment. Chang actually sneaks into his apartment, and Cushing like finds him sneaking in, that sort of thing. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah I remember that scene. And this one has that repeated footage, not once, not twice, but three times. And mirrored. Yeah, and yeah. mirrored. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, which is not in the uh, the hammer box that, that I have this in. So. Oh well, no. Still, it's a it's a fun movie. Oh, I'm not complaining. Yeah. I'm not yeah. complaining. No, 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 I know that. I mean, oh. <laughs> I'm not saying you were complaining, but um, this one really gets the action going. Once, yeah. they, once they move out of town, man, it, it doesn't waste time. Yeah, no, it doesn't stop. In fact, it seems like maybe this one was cut more for the grindhouse kind of crowd because it, it does cut out a lot of the, uh, the independent stuff, or not the... You know the dialogue, the talkie-talkie, let's just dive right into the kung fu. <laughs> yeah, and boy, it does. Uh-huh. Oh, man, that's, that's, some, that's some fun stuff to watch. I don't have a lot of experience with kung fu films. What about you? Um, a little bit, but mostly the more modern ones, the yeah. older Shaw Brother ones. I've got a few. I'm kind of familiar with them, but only the classics. Sure. Um, so I really don't have anything to say other than it's always fun to watch kung fu masters beat up vampires and zombies. <laughs> That's right, man. There's zombies in this thing. We got the hopping Chinese. It's it's fantastic. Now this is kung fu night at the Hollywood Theater, and I was asking the snack bar guys once I finally got up to it. Is this typical? And they're like, Yeah, this is a huge thing. Is this your first time for a kung fu night? Yeah, it is. And I could tell this was not playing too well to some of the kung fu crowd. Really? Um, yeah. Well, there wasn't enough kung fu, believe it or not. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what you expect from the Seven Brothers Meet Dracula, but, you right. know, still, this this was an amazing, and a lot of people did have fun with it. I just it was unfortunate behind a couple of people who were going, oh, come on, this isn't a, this is a kung fu movie. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, you and I, I mean, we came for completely different reasons, oh, of course. Yeah, totally. 
<laughs> now, this is actually one of my top five favorite Hammer films of all time. I remember hearing the podcast where you changed that. Yes. Yeah, over on 1951 Down Place. It blew everybody's mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see that being kind of a surprise. I mean, you know, it's not the strongest Hammer entry, but it's still got a lot of, you know, a lot going for it. It's got Peter Cushing. I mean, yeah. come on. And I love his son, who's not really the most effective zombie killer, but at least he keeps them busy rolling around That's on right. the ground. That's right. Robert Stewart as Leyland Van Helsing. I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean, it's great. The movie looked good. It's fun to see this in a crowd. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially if they're if they're into this sort of thing. And a lot of people were. Mm-hmm. You know, there were people laughing and cheering and a couple of people really applauding. Were you applauding when Peter Cushing came on? Cause I heard of course I did. You were. <laughs> But yeah. no, I mean, it, it, it really played well to everybody. Most people, I should say. Of course, we got a link to Shadow Over Portland over at monsterkidradio.net. What is the next movie you're going to see for the Halloween season? Oh, it's this weekend, man. 35mm print, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And that's right back here at the Hollywood, isn't it? It's back at the Hollywood. It's, it's an early matinee, Saturday and Sunday, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's part of their family uh, feature, but, you know, hey, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people my age watching this, too. <laughs> so, if anybody's in the Portland area, come on down to the Hollywood Theater this upcoming weekend uh, to see the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Maybe run into Chris if you're here. I don't know if I'm going to make it, because I've got a lot going on this month that I'm just now getting into the October thing. Mm-hmm. Started about a week late because of all this stuff that I've got going on. Uh, I do want to let you know the Joy Cinema will be playing Christopher Mims' The Giant Spider. Oh, when's that? Uh, that's going to be part of the Weird Wednesday series. Oh, okay. And I know the joy is kind of difficult for you to get to, but I wanted to let the listeners know as well that that's coming. It's going to be a 9 p.m. show, October 23rd, free admission. Oh, October 23rd. Okay, it's going on the blog site. That's right, yeah. So, which is over at shadowoverportland.blogspot.com? Yes, it is. Excellent, Chris. It's great to run into you, man. Good to run into you. I just bid Chris McMillan adieu and hopped back into the car outside the Hollywood Theater, and uh, I'm still kind of riding on a high. I talked about The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires with Scott and Casey Criswell over at 1951 Down Place a couple of months ago. This film means the world to me, and, you know, I'm kind of thinking about changing my Hammer Film ranking over on that podcast. But, you know, we'll talk about that on a future episode of 1951 Down Place. You'll have to tune into that podcast to hear. Uh, In the meantime, though, I I just want to say that I think that if somebody could compile the footage from this version of the film and then the version of the film that's available on the Hammer Ultimate film box set thing that I have sitting at home, if somebody could combine all those footage into one giant master cut, I think it would be amazing. You know what else I found amazing? A classic TV series that only ran about a year in the 70s called Ghost Story. It actually started as Ghost Story and then became known as Circle of Fear. Now, this is an anthology television series. It ran on network television. came from William Castle. Yeah, the guy who did The Tingler, the guy who did all these exploitation kind of gimmicky kind of films, actually did some television in the 70s. Some horror-like TV, some of it's supernatural, some of it's just suspenseful. Kind of following in the footsteps of Alfred Hitchcock, Castle brings Ghost Story to television. It ran in 1972, only for like 22, 23 episodes actually, if you include the pilot. William Castle was the executive producer. Each episode ran almost an hour long, ran on NBC. Each episode of, well, the first two-thirds of the series was introduced by a man by the name of Winston Essex. He was played by Sebastian Cabot. And it's at a hotel called the Mansfield House that he gives his introductions. Now, the Mansfield House looks a little different in the pilot versus what we see in the regular series. Not too much, but, you know, whatever. We don't really learn much about Winston Essex. Uh, maybe he is trapped there. Maybe he's a ghost himself because he is telling stories in this series called Ghost Story. Don't know a heck of a lot about him. It's really interesting, though. I like him. I like Winston Essex as a character, and I wish that he had stuck around through the entire season. Unfortunately, um, ratings weren't so great, and they retooled the show. It got renamed Circle of Fear, lost a lot of the supernatural elements, in Ghost Story, there are ghosts, there are possessions, there is 
haunted television set. There's all sorts of spooky supernatural stuff. In Circle of Fear, it's more of a straight-up suspense thing, which is fine. I like suspense shows. I've been watching the show Suspense off and on now when I find it on one of the classic TV networks that I can get. I like suspense stories quite a bit. Unfortunately, Circle of Fear just doesn't hold up to the ghost story. I like the ghost story version better. Now, the complete series was released on DVD by Sony. Now, this was kind of a Sony archive kind of thing. However, the menus are a little nicer than most manufactured on-demand discs, so I don't know if it was a straight-up MOD release. The cover art's pretty decent. We got Winston Essex on the cover, doing some ghost-like things. 23 episodes, 23 hours on this DVD. And at this point, I've watched almost the entire season. I've had a lot of time to lay around and we'll kind of recover from some uh, health issues. And because of that, I've been able to get caught up on some DVDs and movies and such. And for, well, it's going for $39.99 now. To get 23 hours of entertaining early 70s anthology horror television for $39.99? I mean, that's a good deal. I would recommend this set to people. If you haven't seen the show, if you haven't had a lot of experience with this particular series, my understanding is, and I'd have to go back and check my box set, but my understanding is, is that a couple of episodes of Ghost Story actually appear in the William Castle box set. Like I said, I'd have to go back and double check it because I haven't watched that box set in a little while. But I'm glad to have the entire DVD collection on my shelves now because it's a fun show. And again, like I said, Winston Essex, I think somebody needs to bring him back. You know what else needs to be brought back? Midnight Mausoleum, or at least a version of Midnight Mausoleum. And fortunately, we are going to get some more Marlena Midnight and Robin Graves. Now, Marlena Midnight, Robin Graves, they're horror hosts. They produced a show called Midnight Mausoleum. Blake Powell was also involved in the creation of the show. Now, Midnight Mausoleum has recently come to an end. But that doesn't mean that Marlena and Robin and Blake aren't involved in classic horror. In fact, they just finished production of a film called Dawn of Dracula. I was fortunate enough to be one of the people who could watch the movie streamed online. It's kind of like a preview, a screener, that sort of thing. I'm really excited to get the actual DVD in the mail. It's available now, at least for pre-order. All the trailers made it look like a real serious attempt to try to tell a European 70s horror movie like Satanic Rites of Dracula or Dracula 1972 AD, which are actually two very guilty pleasures of mine. Really enjoy Dracula 1972 AD. Well, it is that. However, it's the girls from Midnight Mausoleum, and they can't help but inject some of their own sense of humor and quirkiness into this movie, and I found myself enjoying the movie from start to finish, grinning from ear to ear. You've got Marlena Midnight playing a descendant of Van Helsing. You've got Robin Graves playing a record store owner. And they go on this adventure involving vampires. And it's just so much fun and endearing. If you were a fan of Midnight Mausoleum, you're going to be an uber fan of Dawn of Dracula. Plus, you've got Thomas Brodinsky showing up. Now, Thomas Brodinsky is the mad genius behind movies like the Italian Zombie Movie, the giant rubber monster movie. He's one of these great independent directors that you can see at various conventions across the Midwest. Typically dressed up as a character called Sascratch. And you'll get to see Sascratch, or at least maybe a relative of Sascratch, appear in this movie. You also get to see Brodinsky playing a different character as well, which I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's another suited thing, and that's about all I want to say. Now, while this movie homages and references a lot of the European, a lot of the Hammer, Amicus-style storytelling, you get a little bit more than that as well. Another one of my guilty pleasures are the Peter Cushing Doctor Who feature films. And, well, that kind of sort of gets a nod as well. At least Doctor Who and Jack... I, don't, I, don't, I may have said too much. Now, of course, there are some in-jokes for Midnight Mausoleum fans as well. So, I'm going to say it again. If you're a fan of Midnight Mausoleum... You're going to love Dawn of Dracula. If you've never heard of Midnight Mausoleum, shame on you. Go look them up. Watch them if you can. Pick up their DVDs while they're still on sale. They have wrapped up their show, but they're still online. They're still making movies. They're still making entertaining product. I cannot wait to see what they're going to do next. I don't want to misrepresent the movie. While it does have a lot of in-jokes and a lot of references to other films and previous Midnight Mausoleum products, Marlena Midnight actually turns in a solid performance as Victoria Van Helsing. 
was quite impressed. She maintained her accent through the entire film. I was really surprised that this wasn't just kind of a jokey homage kind of thing. This is a real story. There's some serious storytelling here. There's some subtle storytelling happening here. And if this is any indication as to what they are moving on to post-horror-hosted programming, I can't wait for what comes next. I would love to see another adventure featuring Victoria Van Helsing and then Robin Graves as Patricia Pennyweather. I want to see more. I want to see them do more. I mean, the way the story is set up, you can see them doing more and more with these characters, going on other weird adventures, fighting vampires or aliens or, well, anything else, really. I mean, I would like to see more of these two together. I just want to see more Midnight Mausoleum. I really do. And if I have to get it in excellent feature films like this, I'm set. Dawn of Dracula has a Facebook page, which is where I found most of my information about the movie from the very beginning. So go look up Dawn of Dracula on Facebook, and you can learn more about what they've got going on. You can learn how you can buy the DVD, or pre-order it, that is. You can also pre-order lobby cards. You can pre-order a film can edition, which includes the DVD, the lobby cards, and the soundtrack. Get over there and check that out. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, the plan is to have Eric Peterson on to talk about the classic serial the Crimson Ghost. I'm excited. This will be the first time that I've talked to Eric Peterson on Monster Kid Radio, or actually in person at all. But I've heard him on other podcasts. He's probably most known as Eric Reanimator over on Outside the Cinema. So that'll be fun to get into the Crimson Ghost and how it kind of influenced or impacted music a little bit. And it'll just be a fun discussion. So I'm looking forward to that. Again, head over to monsterkidradio.net for links to everything we've talked about here on the show. We'll even have a link to the Hollywood Theater, as well as the Joy Cinema, because like I told Chris, the Joy Cinema is going to be showing Christopher R. Mims' epic, The Giant Spider, on October 23rd. So you're going to be hearing me talk about that leading up to that show. Might even do a Monster Kid Radio crash. We'll see. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that does not extend to the trailers that we played during the discussion with Scott Morris about Disney films. Obviously, that all belongs to Disney. And the song El Barco belongs to the band Low Sweat Guitars. It appears on their album Majestic. You can find out more about the band over at lowsweatguitars.bandcamp.com. This song appears in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. By permission of the band, talk to you next week. <laughs>